So we've been talking about friendship with God. And the last few sermons that we've had, we've focused in on that relationship that we can have with God. And today I want to look at, to take a passage of Scripture which is found in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 10, uh, and just to uh, begin this process of discussion that we're going to discuss today about being a friend of God. It says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. And so what he's actually saying is you've got to be careful because there's going to be a lot of stuff that's going to come around that you're going to listen to, that you're going to see, that's going to, that's going to kind of deceive you. And Paul is saying to us, look, be careful you don't get deceived. The deception is an interesting thing because deception is a thing that sort of gets into your head and you don't know that you're getting deceived when you're deceived. Because if you knew you were getting deceived, you wouldn't be deceived. But if you're deceived, you usually don't know you're deceived. That's the problem with deception. You can be sailing on through life and you can go through life and you can be thinking everything is this way. It's the way it is. And you can suddenly discover later that it wasn't that way. You've been deceived the whole time. The act of deception is actually to keep you in the dark about something that you should be in the light about. And if the deception is working, you won't know. It will be the, you'll be the last one to know that you've been deceived. You say, I, I didn't know, I was deceived. So deception is kind of scary, you know. And so Paul is telling us here, look, I don't want you to be deceived about that. And then he goes on and tells you what he doesn't want you to be deceived about. He says, for in him, and he's talking about in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And so he's saying... Jesus, when Jesus was around, he had everything that God was or could be was in him bodily. Everything that God was was in Jesus. So Jesus was God. He was the fullness of the Godhead bodily was in him. And then it says there, it says, and you are complete in him. And so now he's talked, shifted the focus from Jesus to you and me. He says, you are complete or perfect or whole or mature in him. So if you're in Jesus, if all of God is in Jesus, everything that God could be is in Jesus, and you are in Jesus, then you have everything. Turn to the person beside you and say, you know what, you've got everything if you've got Jesus. Ah, uh, yeah, you know, that's easy to say, Mark. You don't live in my world. That's easy to say, but you don't live in my world. I certainly don't feel like I've got everything. If I knew that I had everything, I'd be feeling a whole lot different today. I probably wouldn't be here if I had everything. But that's what Paul says. He says, I don't want you to be deceived about this. He says, everything that is God is in Jesus. And if you're in Jesus, you've got everything. He is the head over every principality and power. So now he's saying that, you know what? Jesus is so, so strong, he is above every principality and power. Every demon from hell is subjected to him. Every angel is subjected to him. There is no one that is greater than Jesus. Jesus is the top. Yes. Oh, that just thrills me too, Noel. I come out of the ground with that. Oh, yes. And, and I got him. And he's got me. Whoa, well, that makes a difference. You know, you, you got to listen, folks. This is what it says in Colossians chapter 1. This is the, the first chapter. It says, To them, that is us, God willed to make known what were the riches, what are the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles. Now, this is the mystery that, and we are Gentiles among the Gentiles. And then he says, What the mystery is. This is the mystery, which is Christ in you, 
the hope of glory. Everybody say that. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Everybody say it again. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Well, listen, here we are. Christ in us is the hope of glory. We don't have any hope. We have no anchor for our foundation of life if it's placed in ourselves. We are not the hope. Don't believe in yourself because you will fail yourself a time and time again. Don't put your trust in yourself because if you put your trust in yourself, you'll be very, very disappointed. Don't you put your trust in me because if you put your trust in me, I'll disappoint you. Hey, the reality is if you put your faith and your hope and your trust, you put your faith and your hope and trust in Jesus because in Jesus is all of God. And when you are in Jesus, you've got all of God working for you. Everything that God is, is in Christ. Everything. We have all that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Jesus. He's the center. piece, And he says, and Jesus in you is the hope of glory. If you want to go to heaven, put your hand up. You can't go to heaven without Jesus. He's the hope of glory. Now, Cheryl brought this passage to us last week and it was a beautiful passage and I love this passage because this is Jesus talking and he's talking to his disciples this is the context of chapter 14 in John is when he's told his disciples hey guys I'm going to leave I'm going to get crucified I'm going to I'm going to depart from you I won't be physically here with you anymore but I am going to send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is going to come and so this is the sort of introduction to this is if you if anyone loves me he will obey my words I mean, that's conditional, you know. If you love God, he knows that you love him because you obey him. Stop, pause, think about that for a little while. There's a, if you love me, you'll obey me. Chew that over. Think about that a little bit longer. You getting it? Pause a little bit here now. If you love him, you'll obey him. Okay. That you could reflect on all week. Just that. Do I love Jesus? Am I obeying Jesus? Do I love Jesus? Am I obeying Jesus? Love is not in God's economy some feeling that you get when you're walking by Jesus. Mm, Jesus, you make me feel God. No, 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 no. Jesus said, it's not about what you're feeling when you're with me. It's about what you're doing when, you're with me. when I'm here and you're saying, I don't care what you're saying to me, Jesus. I don't do my own thing. Then you don't love me. You might feel good when we're singing, but you don't love me. You might say you love me with your mouth, but you don't love me because love is displayed in an action of obedience. Not what you feel like when you're shaking your stuff. You can shake your stuff and feel really mighty fine on Sunday and on Monday be doing the wrong thing. Hey, bring your bag back on Sunday. If it has sorry for the stuff I did on Monday, I love it real good now. He says, no, you don't. Don't let's get fooled about one. Don't walk in that deception. Don't live there and think that you can do what you want on Monday and love me on Sunday. He says, you love me. When you obey me. And he says this. And my father will love you back. 
and we will come to you and we will make our home with you. So that's the secret, hey? The secret is if you love him and obey him, then God says, I'm coming down with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And you can't understand that. But we in our fullness are going to come and live with you and make our home with you. Whoa! (laughs) God is in the house. God is in the house. God is here in the house. He's in me. What, what, just a little bit of God? Just a small portion of God? No, the Bible says all the fullness of God is in me. That's not a deception, that's a reality. If I can't get my head around that, then my head is around something else. The reality is all of God is in me. Oh, I'm not God. But His presence is with me. He's here in me. Now that's the truth. Oh, we could just stop there and think about that for about five hours, couldn't we? That makes a difference. That makes a difference. What happened to that? Notice those two statements. What's the difference between that makes a difference and that makes a difference? What's the difference? One is a statement and the other is a question. God is in me. The fullness of God dwells within me. That makes a difference? That makes a difference. There's a difference. When God is about, you say, does it make a difference if God is living in me? You say, well, of course it does. Yes. Show me how it does. Makes you happy. Sometimes it makes you very sad too. Having the presence of God can sometimes make you very sad because you say no to sin. And that may not be happy times. That may be sad times because you can't do what you want to do. Makes you full. Makes you sense that God is with you. So there's a sense of what question or statement are you making today? Are you making the statement that makes a difference? God is in me that makes a difference? Or are you making a statement... That makes a difference. What are you saying today? When God is in the house, that makes a difference is a question. And God in the house provides an opportunity for a difference. Most of us live there. You know, you need to turn that one off. No, that's okay. I love you. You don't accept phone calls like that. You know, that's right. You know, and that's the truth, isn't it? You don't usually get a phone call until you're sitting in church and preaching starts. And the devil says, oh, that phone's turned on, so I'll get somebody to ring it. Oh, it's just the wrong number, sorry. <laughs> Turn your phones off, folks. I won't embarrass you if you do. I will if you don't. <laughs> All right, you know I love you, don't you? Good. Go to my office. <laughs> All right, God's in the house. That makes it difference. Here's the question. Is it an opportunity that you're talking about? God is in the house, therefore he provides an opportunity for a difference. Is that the way you're living? Is that how you're living? You know, God is in the house, therefore I get this opportunity to be different because God is in the house. And that's the way I live. I mean, in reality, ask yourself, what is the way that I am living? Not what is... Oh, you know, 
You don't know how to turn it off? I do. <laughs> how do you turn that one off? Take, put it outside with the children. <laughs> They'll turn it off for you. There's a bucket of water there too. That helps. <laughs> I forgive him because he doesn't know how to turn it off. And I understand that. I'm, I'm about his age too. Technology has that thing. I saw Pastor Moses the other day. He, he was looking at my laptop computer and he was doing some work on the... And we we're having a lovely time. And, the, and, uh, and he pressed the button and it started to talk to him. And he goes, oh, like that. And his eyes bopped out. You know, well, that's sort of normal for Pastor Moses. But, you know, and, and he couldn't, he didn't, he didn't know how to turn it off. I said, give it to me. And I looked at it. I think, like, I don't know how to turn it off either. So we all know that one. You've got to be smart and young to turn things off. <laughs> there's, a, there's an idea here. Just don't want you to, this will just take that one and run with it. Don't start something you can't turn off. Listen to me. Don't start something you can't turn off. Some things they want to start, but you'll never be able to turn them off. Just don't start something you can't turn off. In fact, don't start something that it shouldn't be on anyway. So anyway, here's this, is this where you live? Is it, are you living in this place where the idea that God is in you presents you the opportunity to make a difference in your life? And so really, reality, it's not really making a difference in your life today. It's not really making a difference in your life tomorrow. The fact that God is in you is something that you give mental assent to. And if you really hook into that, maybe you'd have an opportunity to be different. But at the moment, you don't live the difference. You understand what I just said? It was pretty good. Listen to me again. You have the concept that Jesus is in you. The fullness of God is there. That gives you the sense that you have an opportunity to be different. But you don't exercise that. You don't have that. It's not real for you. Jesus being within you, your opportunity, but outside your experience. You got that one. Is Jesus within your opportunity, but outside your experience? Just say that. Is Jesus within my opportunity, but outside my experience? Is Jesus within my opportunity, but outside my experience? You see, that's where we live. Jesus, he's living inside of me, yes. But you know what? The crowd and the hustle and the bustle and the weeds and the tears and the worries and the anxieties and the fears, they're all around me and they're all pressing on me. And Jesus is in this with me too. But I'm going, oh, unto me, there are such bad things happening to me. Where are you, Jesus? Come down from the sky and rescue me. Where does he live? God is in the house. He's not in the sky. He's in the house. So your experience is separated from your Jesus. Well, that's a, that's a problem, you know. There's a problem right there because then you really are facing life alone. You're not facing life with Jesus who's within you. All the fullness of the Godhead is there as an opportunity for you, but it's separate and separated from your experience. It's not something that you're experiencing. Your opportunity without action is an opportunity lost. There's a song, I think, that, uh, that comes in, in, uh, some time ago. Opportunity is not a lengthy visitor. I've never heard that. Have you heard that song? Who's heard that song? Or something wrong. But I like that old statement. Opportunity is not a lengthy visitor. What do they mean by that? It sounds like foreign to you. 
Opportunity comes at a moment and it's there. You've seen me do this before. Yeah, opportunity, opportunity, opportunity is there. You know, but it's not a lengthy visitor. And if you know anything about me, opportunity is there, but it's not a lengthy visitor. I'll say it again to you so you get it. Opportunity is there, but it's not a lengthy visitor. I'll tell you again, opportunity is there, but it's not a lengthy visitor. That's God. (laughs) Opportunity is gone. That's the point. The point you think you you think that it's always going to be there. That girl that you caught, you know, that you think you just don't want to ask her to marry, you just say, hey, keep waiting for her, maybe a year, you know. Opportunity is not always going to be a lengthy visitor. She might just marry somebody else while you're making up your mind. Friends, Christ within you is not an opportunity. It is a lengthy visitor. If you're treating him like an opportunity, it's lost. It's lost. It's lost. God's in the house. That makes the difference. It made a huge difference for the psalmist. He cried out in Psalm 118 verse 5, When I was pressed... Hard pressed. He says, I cried to the Lord and he brought me into a spacious place. So we have, the, we have David and he's in a situation that he's called him hard pressed. So he's between the rock and a hard place. He's caught. He's confined. He can't get out of where he's at. He's stuck. And he's saying, oh, I'm stuck. But he know he got God on the inside. He's saying, God, I'm here. You know, I'm, I'm stuck. I'm crying out to you now. And, and God opens the door and takes him into a spacious place. This, is wasn't, this wasn't something that he was trying to achieve. This is something that he knew that he had. Jonah in the belly of a whale. Stinking in the belly of a whale. When he's in the belly of the whale, he calls to God, God. And God answers him and says, I'm going to spew you up where you need to be. Jeremiah in the bottom of a well. He's stuck with his feet in the mud. He calls out to God in the depths of the pit. And God answers him, lifts him out. Not opportunity, a living actuality. Not just so, well, you know, God's there. No, he's there. He's there continuously for you. Always there for you. Now let's go back to these elements then. God's presence is not an opportunity. God's presence is an activity. You got that? Say it again. Sometimes we have to say a number of things a couple of times because we're not thinking real clearly when we're sitting here. Listen to what it says. God's presence is not an opportunity. It's an activity. So God's presence is something that you do. Not something that you look and say, oh, I've got that opportunity. I'll just leave it sitting on the wall. No, no, no. It's something that you do. So these are the elements 
that we've talked about before, which are the elements of relationship. If you want to know why your friend is a good friend and stuck with you for years and years and years, well, it's probably these things here. They are intimate with you. They have proximity. They hang around you. They, have, they disclose themselves and you disclose yourself to them. There's a reciprocity. That's when you, you, you give and take and the sharing together. You're responsive to each other's needs. You know, you know what's feeling there and they know what you're feeling and it's like you're aware of the pain and the joy of each other's lives. You help each other. You're accessible. You're able to be got. They can call you. They can greet you. And they support you and you support them. They are the elements of good friendship. If you wanted to know what a good friendship was, you'd write that down. Because if you wonder why your relationship's not lasting, why your relationships fail, it's usually failing somewhere here. I give you good bread, you know. You could go away and take this and you could really chew this. Seriously, this is good bread. Think about this. You might start solving some of your interpersonal relationships. Now let's think deep more deeply about this now. If it's God who's in the house, then the proximity, the interpersonal relationship, the intimacy is with God. And it's an activity. So intimacy with God is something that I do with God. It's like I recognize you see me without my clothes on. No matter where I am, God, no matter what I'm doing, I recognize you're aware of my intimate pain. I know that you're in the room with me when no one else is in the room with me. When I'm having a shower and I'm washing my hair and everybody is out of the room, you are having the shower with me. You know me right to the core of me. You are intimate with my thoughts and you are intimate with my feelings. You are intimate with everything that's about me. I'm acknowledging you there. I'm acknowledging you're intimate. I do not think that you cannot see my thoughts. I do not drive down the highway and think, I'll just ponder about this adulterous thing and know that you're not seeing it. I am aware that you can read the meditations of my heart and the thoughts of my mind. I'm aware that you are there. You are present right there with me now. It's an activity. Lord Jesus, you wouldn't be happy with what I just thought about, would you? That is an activity, it's not an opportunity. It's a realisation of the presence of God in his fullness living right within you, right now, wherever you are, whatever time. It's proximity. You know that he is there. He's crossing paths with you no matter what you're doing, no matter what you're facing. He is there and he's crossing paths with you. He's saying, you want to know what I think about that? You want to know what I feel about that relationship? You want to know what I think about that thing? Let me tell you what I'm thinking about this direction that you're taking. He is there. He's disclosing to you. He's sharing with you. He's talking to you and you're talking to him. There's this thing going on between you and the creator of the universe. It makes a difference. It's not an opportunity. It's a life. Mm. Are you listening? Are you chewing? Are you feeding? If you don't feed, this will have no effect on you tomorrow. Nothing will change. If you're just collecting concepts, just ideas, then you put in your conceptual bin in your head, It will make no difference to you at all. Uh, Listen to me. 
there are answers to your deepest dilemmas in Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? So he's challenging your concept. He's challenging your mind. Do you not know? Now, when he's talking about us collectively as a whole body, he's saying we as a whole body are God's temple and God is dwelling. Okay, so there's a, God is in the room here. Can you see him? You can't see him. Can you hear him? You can hear him. When the word is read, you can hear him. He speaks to you. Can you feel his sense, a presence of God here? Yes, you can feel and sense the presence of God here. Uh, he's in the room, just like the oxygen is in this room. You take him out, it would be like taking the oxygen and you spiritually die if he wasn't here. He's here. When you get convicted of sins and you start feeling a conviction inside and I start saying something, you start, oh, that, that cut a bit. Boy, that hurt a bit. I think I'm just conceptual. I think, he's got, I think I know where he's going to go and I think I'm gonna, this is going to hurt me today. Well, that hurt is not me trying to inflict pain on you. It's the spirit of Jesus who's in this room trying to wake you up to get you to live where you ought to be living. It's like Jesus saying here, can you hear me? I'm coming soon. Are you ready? It's high time to wake up from sleep. If Jesus came back today and you weren't ready, where would you go? Not nice. Don't even think about that. Wake up. Seriously. He says, think about this. He says, you're God's temple and the spirit of God dwells in you. The word dwell means to leave with you, to have it. Okay. So how do we do that? How do we live with God? Well, I know the trend in our society today is this. You find a boy after you hang out with your friends for a while a guy that kind of likes you, usually lets you know that he likes you because he wants to have sex with you. That's, you, that's our society. Hey, you're, you're kind of good. You want to do something? So you won't, you, won't, you won't have sex with him if you're just a normal girl, you're not a Christian girl, that's a different story, okay? You won't because you say, you know what? I want some commitment before I do anything like that. I want commitment. And he says, I'll give you commitment. How about I move into your place? Is that committed enough? Uh, you think that habiting, habiting is then it's going to be enough for that commitment to take place. Well, it's not. But that's what our idea is. Living with a person is a whole different wrinkle than just meeting with a person. So when you actually start to live with somebody, you get to really know them, don't you? So when I started my relationship with my wife, which was after we got married... I started to live with my wife, and she started to live with me. That means in the morning when we woke up, we got up, and she saw me in my morning glory, and I saw her in her morning glory, and that's something we had to get used to. Well, you know, I have to brush my teeth now. I didn't used to, but now I do, you know. What have you been eating overnight? And then when we have breakfast together, and I watch, and I see the way she eats. I might have noticed that before but you know it's very particular everything is put into the center of the, the bowl we move things out to the side and we mix things up and we eat very politely because she's a lady and there's a number of ladies they have really refined in their etiquette you know 
They use the knife and the fork and stuff. That's me. That's not her. In fact, she has a problem with me. Here's the problem. You know, I get the breakfast and I get the spoon and it's usually one size bigger than my mouth. You know, and, it's, and when it's going into my mouth, it goes, it cracks my teeth on the way through. You hear that one? You know that somebody, that clunk, clunk, clunk. You think those poor teeth, if he keeps eating near the spoon like that, he's going to knock his front teeth out. Clunk, clunk. And she says to me, that's the after it, you know, clunk, clunk. She says, do you have to do that? Then what? Your eating is good. You got a good meal. <laughs> Do you have to eat like that in front of me? <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> well, you get to know somebody when you live with them. <laughs> well, she said, well, I'm married. You now have to train you real good <laughs> so you watch me now I'm very good in my eating <laughs> it's the same thing you know you're, God wants to live with you means he wants to wake up with you wants to walk with you wants to go to the toilet with you wants to have a shower with you wants to walk through the hall with you wants to get in your car with you wants to go to work with you wants to be at work with you wants to walk with you in the outwork wants to sit in the car when you're coming home wants to sit at the meal time he wants to be with you the whole time That's his presence. He wants to be there the whole time. So he's going to see all of you doing all of the stuff that you don't want anybody else to see. He's going to know it real good. Because he's made his home with you. He's present to participate. It's not an idea that sits on there, God's with me and I'll just tap into it on the opportunities that I need God. You could call him dog, not God. He's like your dog. You leave him at home and you'll take him for a walk when you need to. Come on, oh, there you are, Fido. Come on, let's go for a walk. You know, that's your evening devotions. <laughs> Come on, Jesus, let's go for a walk around the park. It's good for my energy to walk around the park. Hey, you want to do that? Okay, okay, okay. Come on, Jesus. You can call your dog Jesus because that's as much as you spend time with him. You come home and you spend a little bit of time taking for a walk. It might take a half an hour. You're feeling good, are you? Feeling like you're righteous? You come home, you spend a half an hour with Fido. You, you put Fido to pat him on the head and walk away from Fido. Listen, God is not a dog that you pat on the head once a day. He's your mate, your walker. He's your husband who's walking with you through the whole of life. Don't teach him and treat, treat him like a dog. It's a bit like that, you know. He wants to participate. That means he wants to be there in every situation that you face. He wants to interact with you on every circumstance. He wants to disclose to you what he thinks about it. He wants to walk with you and strengthen you. He wants to be there. He wants to be in the midst of you and in the midst of your mind. Not an opportunity, a presence. The presence of God in the midst of me is mighty. God in me is greater than he that is in the world. God in me defies sin to take me. When temptation comes knocking at my door, Jesus answers the door. What are you looking for? Who are you looking for? 
I'm not going to go. He's not coming because I'm living here. What do you want? You like it. I like it too. Tell it. Listen. Listen. Listen to me. Listen to me. You've got to get this right. He's there to participate, to walk with you, to feel with you, and to let you know what he is feeling. You say, watching that stuff. I've always watched this. That's the thing I watch. He says, I don't like what you're watching. Let me communicate what I'm really feeling about this. And you feel kind of uncomfortable inside. Yeah, guess what? That's the living God who created the heaven and the earth saying, don't watch that stuff. I want opportunity to be with Jesus, you know, once a Sunday because it feels nice to have people love me. Jesus is not interested in opportunity. He wants to be the presence who participates in your life. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15 to 18, And what accord or agreement has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. And God has said, I will dwell in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And then he says, this is the crutch. Therefore, everybody say therefore. Because God is there, therefore come out from among them. Be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. And I will receive you. I will be father to you. And you will be my sons and my daughters, says almighty God. Now listen to me. You are the temple. He's there to consecrate, to separate. So you wonder why you're having problems with sin? You wonder why you're having problems with situations in your life that are bugging you? But he's been talking to you for some time now. Get out of those situations. Separate yourself from that. Don't keep on doing that. Don't keep on mixing with those associations. Those associations are not there for you. He says, I'm walking among you. I'm talking among you. He says, what agreement do you have with that person? There's no agreement with that person. Why are you still mixing with that person then? They've already told you that they don't believe in God. They've already told you they're not going to believe in God. They've already told you that they want to draw you away from that, that you're doing the wrong thing. Why are you still there? Jesus says, I'm walking with you to keep you away from the stuff that's going to take you out. I've got your well-being, your future in my heart. I'm telling you now, separate yourself. Separate. What do you have? No agreement there. Separate yourself. Well, you know, I just like God on Sundays. You know, can you give me just God on Sunday? That's enough dose. One. Don't preach too long, Mark. Don't carry on too much. I just, I don't want too much of the gaudy stuff. I just want just enough to just sort of keep me partially sort of good, you know. The rest of the time I'll manage it, you know. I can look after it. You want God as an opportunity for when you're really getting the drink, don't you? Save me now, Jesus. Just hang in there until I get stuck. He says, I'm not here for that. I'm here to separate you. While you're messing with that, you're not doing what we can do together. 
Well, you're messing with that. You're not doing and walking what I want you to do and walk. You're not being what I want you to be. He says, I'm here to separate you, to take you out of it, to take you somewhere good. It's not an opportunity. He's the presence of God to consecrate you, to set you apart for something else. John chapter 15, verses 4 to 8, we read, Abide in me, says Jesus, and I in you. That's that kind of connection, hey? Abide in me, live in me, and I'll live in you. How close is that? Abide in me, and I'll live in you. Live together with me. Be here with me. Walk with me. Talk with me. Feel with me. Touch me. Know me. Know me, he says, and I'll be with you and you be with me. Let's do this. You know what? The major problem in society today is loneliness. Everybody say lonely. Are you lonely? Are you lonely? It's your major problem. You sit and you feel extremely lonely. You sit there. No one comes to visit me. Pastor Mark, you don't come and visit me. You would say you want to have a real meaningful, churchful relationship, but if you loved me, you'd come and visit me. Well, you know, why would you come? Why would you want me to come and visit you when you've got God already there with you? All I'm going to tell you is when I come and visit you, have you met Jesus lately? Have you talked to Jesus lately? Have you talked to Jesus about your situation? Have you, have you just gone and brought it out to Jesus? I don't talk to Jesus. I haven't read my Bible. I don't know what to do about Jesus. Well, listen, I'm a poor substitute for God. I can't meet your needs. I can't fix your needs. I can't do anything for you. You know, but Jesus is there. Jesus is there. And when you know Jesus and you you, you come closer to Jesus and you let Jesus into your life, into that hidden secret place of your heart and say, Jesus, come into the hidden secret place of my heart. If Mark saw that secret place and hidden stuff in my heart, he wouldn't like me. But you, you can come into my secret and hidden place, Lord, and you can look at it because you already know it's there and you can love me and you can help me. You can help me. I might not have anybody in there. You can't see me. You're not allowed to touch me. You're not allowed to get close to me. Why? Because you won't like what you see. Jesus says, I'm already inside here. I already know what's going on. Let's talk about it. Let's have some intimate time around it. Let's discuss it through the word. He says, I am, if you abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, he's saying you, you can't expect a vine to produce grapes unless it's attached to the root of the vine. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Everybody say, I can do nothing. Do you believe it? Say it again. I can do nothing. Mm. Do you believe it? Oh, I can do all things through Christ, but I can do nothing without him. See, sometimes I think you think you can do something, and then you find you you can do nothing. You find out at the end of the exercise that you failed because you didn't include him in the exercise. You tried yourself. You thought, I believe myself. I get a good self-image. You're going to get out of the rot. I'll tell you something. You can do nothing, he said. You cannot. You cannot expect to bear fruit if you are not attached to the root. You cannot expect to bear fruit if you're not attached to the root. You've got to be in the vine to bear fruit. He says, you can't do it without me. 
He says, I'm here. I'm going to abide with you. I'm going to live with you. You're going to love me. You're going to obey me. And then you're going to be fruitful because I'm here with you so that you can be fruitful. Without me, you can do nothing. We're told in our society just to believe in yourself. We're told in our society to trust in yourself. We're told that you can do whatever you want to do. Just put your mind to it. We're told that if you have to get to the core of yourself and dig deep to the core of you, just believe what you can do, then you can do it. And you believe that nonsense. You believe it because you try that. And guess what you've discovered? You've discovered that you failed every time you've done that. Because the truth is that Almighty God lives ready to inhabit you, to empower you, to do what you can't do. That's the truth. And you don't appropriate that because you think he's just an opportunity to call out if you get sick or to call out when you're tired or to call out something else. Instead of walking with him on a daily basis and involving him and participating with him in a life with him. He says there, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into into the fire. And they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this the Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so be my disciples. Now either that's true or it's a lie. What is it? Truth or lie? 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 What do you live? What do you live? Do you live this truth or do you live a lie? Are you deceived? What do you live? Are you hooking into this and saying, I can't do anything without you and I'm involving you in everything I do. I'm the, I, I, I try to do it myself. I can't. Jesus, I'm getting up in the morning. I can't even go to work without you. I can't even negotiate the traffic without you. I can't eat breakfast without you. Jesus, I want you to be here. I want you to be habitating with me right here now continuously. I want you in my life continuously. I want the presence of God participating, empowering me to do what I can't do. You're living the truth or you're living a lie. If you just cut yourself off and you go for a distance, you know, you do your own stuff, you fall into a heap. Oh, dear, I tripped over that. Oh, oh Lord, I'm Jesus. I'm sorry about that. I'll just put you up there on the shelf again and start doing my stuff again. Do it myself again. Listen to mine. I'll, I'll keep my, I'll define what's right and wrong for me. Well, you can't do that. God defines what's right and wrong for you. And I'll look after my own life. Well, see, what you're telling me is that you, you say one thing with your mouth, but in reality, you are living a different thing. You say, this is truth. Then you have to say, I'm not living according to the truth if you do differently. And then that means that you are suppressing the truth and believing a lie. You are in deception. Friends, this call is the spirit of Jesus saying, wake up. This is a life to be lived, not a life to be thought about. This is a life to be experienced, not an opportunity that affords itself to you on occasions. This is a dynamic life in Jesus. He's offering you right now. You say you come to church, you say you do the things. You know, you're with, listen, look at your life. What are you really doing? Jesus is present to stimulate growth. All of these things, 
He's present there, intimately present with you, in proximity, self-disclosing to you. He's, he's showing and sharing with you his heart. He's, he's responsive to your situation. He's helping you. He's accessible. He's there to support you. Why? Because he wants to stimulate growth in your life. He's not there so you can do a Hail Mary, Mother of God, full of grace and trip, put money on the plate and then go and send some more. It's religious, isn't it? Hail Mary, Mother of God, full of grace and truth. I'm sorry for the things I've done. Crawl on the ground on a couple of beaters, you know, on your knees so you can punish yourself, you know, feel bad about that. Yeah, I feel really bad about it. Go further. Okay, I really feel bad. I'm sorry about that. Okay, get up. I paid for my sins there. Oh, Jesus didn't pay for your sins. No, no, I did. I just crawled on the floor. Didn't you see me pay for my sins there on my, floor, on my knees? I did all the stuff I needed to do to work it off. And I can fill up my bucket with sin again this week. Where are you living? I had a discussion with Liz this week about a passage in the Bible. It's really shocking. One of the worst passages in the Bible I have ever read. In fact, it's so confronting and so bad, I try and keep away from it. It's found in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. Mm. Oh, don't look at it now. Write it down so you can read it later, Juliet. It's the worst passage in the Bible because it confronts me right where I am. He that is born of God does not sin. He is not able to sin because the seed of God remains in him. <laughs> Rubbish. Careful. Did I just hear you say rubbish? Living without sin? Not sinning? It's God's desire that we do not sin, but God, he's, he, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous who forgives. Shall we sin the grace you're about? Of course we do. Friends, I have a discussion with that because it's a terrible verse. You know why it's a terrible verse? Because it says, if it is true, there's a place where I am not living. If it is true, the place where I could live is somewhere different to where I'm living today. If it's true, that means I can walk in a place where there's sinlessness, where there's this communion with Jesus, where this walk with Jesus is so dynamic that when temptation comes knocking at my door, I look at it and say, yeah, I'll let Jesus answer that door. And I keep on walking. You know, wouldn't you like to live there? Wouldn't you like to, wouldn't you aspire to be there? Wouldn't you want to walk with Jesus if that was the case? Wouldn't you want to be with him? Where do we live? Where are we living? Where are we living in our lives? What, what's happening in our lives? Why, why do we think that we are, we are getting there when we are not getting there? When we're doing something, when we're not doing something? Why are we deluding ourselves? Friends, Jesus came that you might have life and have it more abundantly, he said. Why well, is this abundant life, you say? I'm struggling. I'm, I'm, I'm going through hardship. I'm, I'm, I'm tormented where is this abundant life this abundant life doesn't come through you doing religious duty this abundant life comes with you in harmony and walking with jesus your friend every second of the day romans chapter 8 verses 8 to 11 says so then those who are in the flesh cannot please god they've got the option of being in the flesh or in the spirit 
But you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Oh, that's nice. I like that. Read that again. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Uh, who wants to live in the flesh? Put your hand up high if you want to live in the flesh. No, I didn't think so. It says, but you are in the spirit. Put your hand up. I'm in the spirit. Say it now. I am in the spirit. I am the spirit. It says, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, lives in you. Okay. So you are not in the spirit if God is an opportunity that's attached to your life that you just go and grab when you need him. You are in the flesh if you do not live with Jesus. You are in the spirit when Jesus lives with you, dynamics with you, and walks with you, and talks with you. You are in the Spirit when you are walking with, talking with, and speaking with, and communing with the Spirit of God. You are in the Spirit. You are in the flesh if you think that you can do it on Sunday, and the rest of the week just do whatever you want to do. Now, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So, okay. We all want to go to heaven, so we're all going to say we've got Jesus' spirit inside us. John, Jesus lives inside of you. We all, uh, Jesus inside you, Heike? Anybody not got Jesus inside? Put your hand up. No, don't do that. Because you'll all tell me you've got Jesus inside because you all don't want to die. Because if you don't have Jesus inside, you're going to die. That's it. So you're going to tell me that you've got Jesus inside. Then I'm going to tell you, if you've got Jesus inside, what's the difference? Does it make a difference? And then you're going to say, well, I struggle. And I'm going to say, is Jesus inside? And you say, well, I suppose he's the opportunity. Now, wait a minute. I didn't say whether he's the opportunity. Is Jesus the dynamic? Is he there? Can you see the problem? I'm, can you see I'm trying to tease it out for you so you can see it. Can you see the issue? It's not just about saying that you've got Jesus. It's about living this Jesus. This is about the dynamic. It's waking up tomorrow morning. <gasps> Jesus. Jesus, 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 I can't live without you, Jesus. You're like my breath. You're like my oxygen. I need you every second of the day. I can't think without you. My mind is blank without you, Jesus. I'm just deceived without you, Jesus. We're not participating in religious activity here. We're trying to dynamically show you that Jesus wants to be part of your whole life. He says there, Jesus comes to reinvigorate you. We go back to that passage. He says, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And listen to what he says. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells where? Dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies to his spirit who dwells where? That's the only reason why you're here. It's the only reason why you're here. It's because Jesus gives life. To, they gave you a death sentence. They said you're going to die in five years. How many years ago is that? Seven, eight years ago? The only reason you're breathing now is because Jesus, Jesus. And they don't know what it is, Shireen, that does it to you. They don't know why it is. And they call you their miracle girl. But I know what it is. Christ gives life to your mortal body because he dwells you. Now listen to me, folks. This is not just something that is pie in the sky. This is right where you are now. God wants to communicate. He wants to be there. He wants to invigorate you. You're feeling like you don't have energy. You wonder how people can keep on going and keep on doing and keep on, keep on keeping, even when it's, 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 it's... How do you just keep on doing that, Mark? Because Jesus invigorates me. 
Where is your source? Where's your battery power? In yourself? Or is it in the Lord who is constantly reinvigorating you and giving you strength? When you are weak, then you are strong. When you are weak, then you are strong. His grace is sufficient for me. He gives me power when I'm weak. I might be broken down, but I'll rise up again. Where does he get it? That tenacity, that agility, where does it come from? Where does it come from? Where does it come from? It comes from the one who is within me. Jesus is in me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. This is not about religious thinking. This is not about doing church on Sunday. This is about doing life with Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 5. You are coming to Jesus, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. Touch the person beside you and say, you're a rock. You're a rock. Touch the person beside you and say, mighty fine rock. If it's a girl beside you, say, you're a diamond. You're a diamond. And if it's a boy beside you, say, you're a rough diamond. Look at me and you say, I'm a piece of coal. But I want to tell you something. You are all alive. You are being built up into a temple. You know why I like Tongans? Because I don't have any Tongans and I want a room full of Tongans. You're a bridge. You have purpose. You know, God says my house should be a house of prayer for all nations. For all nations. I believe that. So when I see your face, I look at your face and I am enlivened with God's possibilities. Because of your heritage. Friends, listen to me. We together, collectively together, are God's household. I individually walk with the presence of God. If I individually walk with the presence of God, and then I come and hang out with other people who are individually walking with the presence of God, that's not just one candle power walking into the room. That's two candle powers walking into the room. Watch out, we're going to put a spotlight on. God is building a people. And I'm spitting at you. I'm sorry. Let me... You saw that? That's blessed. That'll, be... That'll grow there now. <laughs> oh, yeah, all the guys that are here got to sit at the front so I can spit at them. <laughs> Jesus spat. He spat and put it in their eyes and they saw. I wonder if I can spit and, and the little hair will grow. Darren, do you think that would work? We haven't tried that. Can we try that? <laughs> I diverse. I digress. Give you some breathing space before we come back and hammer you again. Friend, I, I, look, you might laugh, but don't, because this is serious. This is deadly serious. We're talking about your life here. We're talking about your life in eternity. At the end of the exercise, you are part of a body of people who are going to walk with God. You have no idea what God can do if you switch on this thing in your mind and you begin to walk with Jesus beside him. You have no idea what God could do in this place. <laughs> Boom! Breaking the chains of injustice, loosing the captives, setting the prisoners free. You have no idea what Jesus can do. 
bang, when we all start walking together and listening to the Father who's talking to us and telling us, now do this, do this. You get one can do 10, two can do a 1,000, three can do 10,000. Watch out. If all of us get to 120, got up in there and they started praying. The Holy Spirit came on and said, I'm here. I'm here ready to power you now. And then the next day, 3,000 got saved. 3,000. Whoa, and they kept them. They didn't lose them. They kept them. How they do that? How they do that? You've got no idea, have you? Because you don't walk with spirit. What if Jesus did that to you and me? Bang, the next day there was 3,000 people trying to walk in here. What would you do? Where would you be? Would you be ready for that? Would you be ready to start walking with me? Say, come on, this is what we've been looking for. Would you be ready or you'd be saying, oh, the pastor doesn't see me. He doesn't know me. He can't see me. You know, he's not spending any time with me. All right, what's it about? Because you're looking for me? You're looking for me? What are you looking for me for? Jesus is here. Jesus says, I'll be there for you. The living God who through the whole place, he's there for you to strengthen you and empower you to walk with you. And you're looking for me? What are you looking for me for? That's a piece of dirt. Jesus is here. What are you looking for me for? I can't do it for you. I can come and I can kiss you and I can hug you and I, I can put my arms around and say, I love you. And you say, oh, God, I can get on with life now. Yeah, well, you got missing it, aren't you? You're missing it, aren't you? You missed it. You missed it completely. He's there to consolidate us. All of this interpersonal stuff from God to make us strong. I can go on. Reflect. Have you had opportunity but not action that relationship this week? Think back to this week. Has it been hard for you this week? In the midst of the hardship, did you, did you access Jesus who's there with you? Or did you, in your sadness, cry and lament that you were alone in life and no one understands your plight? Were you looking for an opportunity of blessing or were you accessing a relationship that's made available to you through the Spirit of God who lives within you? Second Corinthians 13 verse 5 tells us these words. Read it with me. Together with me. Let's read this verse together. One, two, three. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is? Unless indeed you are. So the test today. Look in yourself. Do you not know that Jesus lives inside you and in Jesus all the fullness of the godly lives and you are complete in him? You have need of nothing. You are in him and he is in you. You will get everything you need if you come to him. He's there to walk with you, to talk with you, to share with you, to commune with you. He's there. Do you not know that he is with you? Unless, of course, you failed the test. I can't change your week last week. And I don't even know. And you thank God Mark doesn't know my week last week. 
But Jesus knows you're weak last week. Was Jesus an opportunity or was Jesus the presence with you? Has Jesus been within your opportunity to be outside your experience this week? Has Jesus been an opportunity but outside your experience this week? Stop. Now listen. Revelation says, To the church in Laodicea, you know what? I would have you hot or I would have you cold, but you are lukewarm. And because you are lukewarm, you make me vomit, says Jesus. I want you to be hot or I want you to be cold, but I don't want you to be mediocre. I don't want you to be half-hearted. I don't want you to be not too good to be radically good and not too bad to be shamefully bad. Just general, easy. Jesus says, be bad, real bad. Or be real good, real good. But don't sit in the middle because I'll be sick if you sit in the middle. You know why he's going to be sick if you sit in the middle? Because all of God lives in him and he's living in you and you don't need to be half-hearted about this. You can stand up on the inside. I can be what God wants me to be. I can do what God wants. I can believe for what God wants me to believe. I don't have to be mediocre about this. I can either be forgetting Jesus and doing the bad thing or loving Jesus and doing the good thing. But don't put me in the middle where Jesus sits by and watches is an opportunity for you to attach to maybe next Sunday when you come to church. Jesus is not an opportunity. He's a person who wants to live with you. He's the person who wants to speak with you. He wants to be intimate with you. He wants to disclose to you. He wants to work with you and walk with you. And he wants to do all these things to empower you. He is not an opportunity. He is a person who wants to be with you. He says, behold to the church. I stand at the door and knock. Where am I? Where am I? If someone opens the door, I'll come in. Where am I? I can't get in. I can't get in because the door's got a lock on it. You've got to open it from the inside. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. Jesus is your opportunity. You've got Jesus. You approximate with Jesus. You sit there and talk about Jesus. And occasionally you'll talk to him through the word of God. Occasionally you'll pray with him and say, sorry for the stuff I've done. Because you can't help. But really you're living middle ground. Not hot, not cold. He's standing on the outside. He's knocking on the door and says, will you open and let me come in? I want to eat with you. You know what that means? I want to walk with you, live with you, talk with you, power you and strengthen you. I do not want to be an opportunity. I want to be your mate. I want to be your partner through life. Well, you got Jesus sitting. Attach him to a group of people down the road. You go and see those group of people down the road. You have some nice time with them. They come along and night and they feed you well. Huh? 
listen to the Spirit of God. He calls to you. If Jesus were to come back this afternoon and you'd heard this message and you have talked and walked away from this, God would be just in sending you where you ought to go. The Spirit of Jesus is upon me and he calls you. He calls you to himself and says, Come to me. Know me. I am not a dog that you pat at night times or greet in the mornings with a bowl of milk. I'm your father. I'm your husband. I'm your lover. I want to walk with you and talk with you. That's what Jesus is saying today. Enough mediocrity. Enough half-heartedness. He's calling from you everything. He wants it all. If you love me, he says, you'll obey me. And the Father and I will come with you and we will live with you. That's your call. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you right now. We, we've heard your word. And Lord, we hear your heart. Your heart's cries for fellowship with us. You want us to walk in the light as you in the light and the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all sins and we'll have fellowship with one another. Lord, I ask, oh God, that you will shake us. As you have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want those who feel the impress of God, that their lives have been using God as an opportunity, not as a person who wants to walk with them, I want you to stand to your feet. I want you to stand up and say, Lord Jesus, you got me today. I recognize that I've been using you just like an opportunity and not really living with you. And I'm sorry, I want to change that. I want to change that. I don't want to walk with you just on moments, pat your hand in the morning and say goodnight to you at night. I want you to be present with me in every thought that I have. Jesus, you have found me today. You have knocked at this door and I am opening the door for you, Jesus, right now. Stand to your feet if that's you. Lord Jesus, you see everyone that's standing now. I don't need to say anything. I can't pray for them, Lord Jesus. This is something that you and each one of those people, Father, are going to do from this time on. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, so fill them, so empower them and so strengthen them as they turn back to you from their backsliding, Lord Jesus. Empower them to walk with you, Jesus, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name. You may be seated. Okay. I love you guys heaps. You know, I'm conscious though in my spirit, you know, I'm conscious that 
this world we live in is just really messy, really, really deceptive. Satan is working really hard. The Bible says in Revelations that he thrashes around. He's thrashing around because he knows his days are short. Martin had a vision. She's just gone out, I think. And she saw Jesus coming back in the vision. She rang me and told me about the vision. Did she tell you about the vision? Did she tell you about the vision? She told me about it. Did she tell you about the vision, Johnny? She told me about the vision. She said Jesus was coming back. And she said she saw him in the clouds. And he was really, really, she was so excited because, you know, you, you see Jesus coming back. And then she looked at Jesus' face and his face was really unhappy. And he was very sad. And why? Because the people were not ready. The people were not ready. He says, I can't take them. They're not ready. He's coming for a church without spot or without blemish. A church that walks with him in the spirit, talks with Jesus and fellowships with Jesus. I fear where we will be if we don't stir up the gift that is within us. I fear what will happen to us if Jesus will come back and we're not ready for him. Think about that. Chew that over. Pray for each other. Seek God more earnestly than you've ever sought God before. Read his word and let his word speak into your hearts. Walk with such a dynamic relationship with God that people look and say, what is there about you? How is it you know this stuff? How is it you hear this stuff? How come you can know all about this stuff that's going on? What is it? What is it? It's Jesus. It's Jesus in me. Jesus in me. I'm dead and Jesus lives. The life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am dead, Jesus lives. Amen? Let the Spirit of Jesus stir your heart up. Don't be the same next week as you were last week. Move. Move with Jesus. He's moving us somewhere else. Amen? God bless you. Have some fellowship.